a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. There's a lady joining us today from Switzerland, and by the fact I've said Switzerland, um, Kelly Brandley's been with us quite a few times now, so uh, maybe listeners, you're putting one and one together and knowing it's Kelly, I don't know. We don't want to assume too much, but uh, yeah, so Kelly, very warm welcome back to you. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm really excited about our discussion today. Yes, uh, it's going to be an intriguing one, because what we spoke about off air, Kelly, didn't we, was... Um, something along the lines of time, love or money, which matters most. Absolutely. And I think uh, for, for those listeners that have been listening to me talk to you over the past weeks or months, I guess there's probably going to be an expectation of which one of those I'm going to go for initially. Mm, well, don't keep us in suspense then, Kelly. Let's let's get the show on the road, so to speak. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, I think, um, you know, given that I am a love expert, I could probably start uh, off with saying, from my perspective, I think love is definitely an absolute key um, to life. But I was thinking about this before we got on and I was, I was kind of thinking about, you know, time and money. It's a little bit like arms and legs in a way. I think you don't want to live without any of them. Hmm. So maybe we'll uh, we'll park that uh, possible conclusion there, which matters most till the end. So let's have a dig down on. Um, okay, so on that intro, then Kelly, let's have it start uh, digging down in terms of the way that they're listed in the title, if we can. How does that sound? Sounds good. Right, time. Why does time matter? What is time? Why does it matter to us? Any thoughts around that, Kelly? Yeah, I think, I mean, time is a bit of a a construct in a sense that we've created in order to bring a sense of order to our lives. At least that's how I see it. Um, And I actually previously did a lot of work on the concept of time. I even wrote um, uh, an ebook called How to Buy More Time, which was all about sort of how to um, get into the flow of things where time seems to run away on us. Um, or in situations where things are really challenging, time seems to drag on forever. And it seems, you know, like we never get through something. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned in that was exactly that, that we can in fact influence the perception of time uh, to create more times for ourselves when we're in the flow, uh, which I don't want to jump too far ahead, but something that comes to being in the flow is related to being passionate or having a love for something that we're doing. Does that make sense? Mm, it does, yeah. What's your thought on time? I think you, you use for me the right word there, perception, because um, I was just trying to do some maths. 
Is it 86,400 or 84,600 seconds in a day? Um, so, and it's, yeah, whichever it is. <laughs> it's one of those two. <laughs> it's one of those two. Um, you know, the maths is kind of really irrelevant. But, um, you know, whichever it is, Kelly, the, the point is, it's the same for all of us, isn't it? Absolutely. And what you um, don't use, you lose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 86,400. I've just done some quick maths there. Um, <laughs> it's that, that, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this almost cliche-like saying, we have 86,400 opportunities every day to change our lives. Um, maybe, maybe not. I um, think that's been very, very creative. But having said that, you know, not wishing to sort of... Uh, uh, dismiss that in any way I think the point is valid we've got a lot of time in a day there's a lot of time in a moment isn't there you know um, if you're in a particularly terrifying ordeal um, a second can seem like a lifetime mm -hmm. um, you know conversely when you're in that you know that blissful state it's like it never seems to last you know want you want it to last forever and ever and ever um, you know, and using those two contrasting scenarios, you know, one could just really drag out and seem like a lifetime and the other one's gone in the blink of an eye. But it might be constrained within the, or contained, should I say, within the same time slot of, I don't know, five seconds, 30 seconds, one minute, whatever that may be. So it is that key word, isn't it? Perception. Absolutely. Yeah. And and as I said, we can influence how we perceive time, one, by our mindset. As you said, are we having a positive experience or a negative experience? Or we can also influence the perception of time by the activities that we're doing. When we're doing something that's really, really enjoyable, we can create that perception that we've all of a sudden created more time for ourselves. Yeah, an interesting aside on this. Um, when I was when I was studying my masters, I did it in quality management, and part of that research journey, there was three Americans and three Japanese guys that are renowned as being, and I don't personally don't particularly like this word, but gurus in terms of quality management. So, but what was interesting for me, Kelly, and as a case in point in terms of what we're talking about here, is of the six guys, no two of them could even remotely agree on a common definition of the word quality. I found that quite interesting, but the one that <laughs> did resonate with me personally was from one of the American guys, Tom Peters, when he said, perception is all there is. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Uh, I and, agree with that. You know, that's quality management. But what's time, if not a potential quality element to our lives? It's, it's like you said, it's how we use it. We just take it for granted, don't we? Because we're in this autopilot mode of, you know, getting up at maybe six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, whatever the time is. We get up, we do the same thing. You know, there's a lot of routine, a lot of re repetition in most people's lives. And, you know, we're kind of the clock is the boss, so to speak, isn't it? Mm hmm. Definitely. And it raises the, the thought that crosses my mind quite regularly is what is 
our expectation of how we use that time, how much efficiency or efficacy should we actually achieve in a day? And should we be aiming to try and use all of those seconds uh, to the most potential? Or is there a way, I love this term, I learned this in my coaching called strategic laziness, which is um, how do you use your time in a way that is lazy and perhaps non-productive, but it's strategic in the sense that it gives you energy back, you're using it you know, to connect with yourself, to connect with nature, whatever you may be doing, where it's not deemed productive time um, by that sense, but it's very valuable time. And so that's a thought that I often think about, you know, what should we really be doing with our time and how much should we get out of it? Yeah, that one, listeners, is a great question for, I think, for us to all remind ourselves and ask ourselves. It's like, you know, we've got these 86 and a half thousand almost um, moments. What are we going to do with them? Because like you said, when they're gone, they're gone. There's no uh, there's no repeat journey on or repeat pattern on them, is there? Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. What what's going through my mind there, Kelly? How can we best use them? What was interesting there? There was one word that came to me, and I wasn't sort of deeply thinking about it, but it just hit me, and that's contribution. Mm. Contribution. Use them to contribute, either to ourselves or to others. Okay. Time. What about let's let's move on to. Let me make a, a controversial statement. Money is the root of all evil. Let's move <laughs> on to money. Good old, we, all, we like to talk about cash, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we do. I, I would push back on you um, with that statement. I don't believe money is the root of all evil. I believe greed is the root of evil, yeah. not money per se. I think money is, a, to use the terminology of Tony Robbins, a vehicle or a tool to get things we want. But it's that uh, the greed and the trying to obtain as much of it at whatever cost, I think, that causes evil. And Mm. I also think that money doesn't make a person bad, uh, but money can reveal more of who you already are, good or bad. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I deliberately, I always love to throw that out there. Same as the word coincidence. And I get reminded Paul, there's, there's no such thing as coincidence. Oh, I must have forgot. Okay. It's one of my little teasers. And it's just, and I love to throw that one out there, Kelly. Um, because as you say, you know, at the end of the day, it's a piece of paper or a, a piece of metal, a coin. It's just a vehicle, isn't it? So it's just, it's an exchange. So why is it? I mean, we're kind of going a little bit off path here. Maybe we're not. Why hmm. is it people give so much power, significance, energy to this thing called money. Well, we actually did a podcast on this one about, um, I think, what did we call it? Why fights about money are never really about money. Mm. And I think it comes back to this, uh, the six human needs, and we're all trying to meet our basic human needs. And we all put a different um, value on money. So, you know, I mean, a dollar is a dollar, a pound is a pound, but the value that we as individuals put on that may be that we value money because it gives us security. We value it because it gives us freedom. Um, people believe that money can buy love. Um, we know that to an extent that's not true. Um, and th- certainly we could debate that, but I think for some people who believe that when you've got a certain standard 
in your life, you've got certain possessions that you will attract the love into your life. It's very difficult to argue with them otherwise. Mm, but is it? Uh, I mean, the Beatles made a record, didn't they, in the early sixties? Can't buy me love. Um, yeah, my, my my grandmother told me about that. I hasten to add, it's not that I'm aware of it personally um, from the sixties, or maybe it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> going back okay. to time are we paul <laughs> Go, yeah a bit of nostalgia uh, i'm sure listeners we like a bit of nostalgia would do we not um i'm just going back to this this thing um this theme kelly of can't buy me love or can we you know why is it that i mean when i um in a former life um i was involved in a in a brief relationship and and the girl said to me or the lady said to me she said I don't know if it's your what she perceived as my my wealth at the time, you know, whether that was a, a dollar or a million is irrelevant, or it's you personally. And that was a very, very interesting comment to make. And it's kind of tied in with what we're talking about here, Kelly, isn't it? About, you know, is it what what is it that we love about being with somebody? Because there's a big difference, isn't there? And you know far more about this than than um, than I do. But there's a big difference between those two situations of loving being with somebody because you love them, or as I say, just loving being with them um, because of all the trappings that go with it and the nice lifestyle. Yes. Well, I mean, I can speak from my own personal experience of coming from quite a um, lifestyle, I would say, that was very much incorporating all the trappings of, of wealth and travel and luxury and all that stuff, that eventually it wears off. And eventually, you know, you could be sitting in the most beautiful place on earth, I mean, beautiful white beaches, you know, resorts and all that. And when you're with somebody that you don't enjoy spending time with, you start to realize that actually the money doesn't compensate for the lack of love. Mm. Or at least I did. I don't know how other people have experienced that, but that was my experience. And there's, I keep going around in circles with this, this money and love thing, because I think, you know, money can make relationships work easier. Um, you know, if you have problems because of money, it can cause a lot of conflict. And when you don't fight about, you know, paying the bills or whatever, it removes conflict from your relationship. Um, love can also create wealth because when you're in love and you're feeling security at home, you can give more contribution to the outside world. You can be more successful. You can earn more. Um, but then we also hear the stories of people who have millions or billions of dollars and you know their family's off traveling somewhere and they're in the office working, feeling more alone than anybody. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, but I think, you know, for me, I, I've kind of, well, I'm going to be interested in your thoughts on this, Kelly. Yeah, again, sort of a bit left field. I always said that if I went out on a, on a date, um, and this is a relatively new thing over the last few years, this is not kind of from my younger days, but, you know, one of the things that I would ask is, what's your vision? What's your vision for the future? Now, that might be deemed the most unromantic unflattering question you could ever ask, particularly on a first date. 
But I mentioned that, Kelly, in the context, I think my line of conversation, and I'd probably never ever get a second date again in my life, but um, just bringing in what you've said there about, okay, so imagine we lived on a desert island and all we'd got was each other. You know, where would, would you sacrifice that? Would you sacrifice your financial wealth for us to be together? And And I think that those two questions go some way I mean, okay, maybe a bit premature to ask it on a first date, but certainly asking the one around, okay, what is it, your money or your life with me? Um, there's a kind of moral dilemma there, isn't there? But, you know, puts the microscope on the real strong emotion that does or doesn't exist between between people. Well, first of all, I love that question, Paul, and I encourage everybody to ask that question, whether it's on the first, second, third, 10th date, or after 10 years, talking with your partner about their vision and where they see life going uncovers what I think is at the, the foundation of every healthy relationship, which is your values. And that question unveils what is someone's values regarding love, connection, relationship, and money. And definitely, I mean, when you're looking for a partner, if you were to ask them the question, you know, if I got sick tomorrow and was on my deathbed, would you be by my side or would you be at work? And I think mm -hmm. everybody would hope that the answer is that your partner would be by your side. But the reality is, and we've probably all heard stories um, where situations like that arose and the partner wasn't there. And it does uncover a lot in terms of what their value is. And I mean, I also had a friend of mine who recently sadly passed away from cancer and her husband actually um, quit his job and spent two years looking after her until the day that she died. And for me, that was, you know, such an outpouring of his love for her and the sacrifice of his career, his financial stability, his future wealth. Um, but it was fully driven by his love. Mm. I mean, at the risk of sounding um, judgmental, Kelly, and, and, and apportioning percentages, I mean, from your experience within your, you know, wearing your professional hat now, what what would be your feedback or reflection on, you know, the, the number of people that would actually sacrifice anything under the banner of love? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> It's a really difficult one, I think, to put a number on because mm. so many situations are different. And, you know, it says a lot too for how long people have been together. You know, somebody who's a year into a marriage might be willing to sacrifice less than somebody who spent 30 years of their life together, or it could be the opposite. Um, it's really, really difficult, I think, to to put a number, but my instinct on that would say that it's probably less than 50%, I think, who would go to those extremes of sacrifice for love. I don't mm. know. What, what would your feeling be on that? Do you have any experience? Um, other than conversations, because I love to engage in these kind of uh, these moral dilemmas. I don't know if that's the right word, but I love these kind of questions, these abstract questions that... Most people think are awkward. Oh, yeah, Paul, you don't want to be saying <laughs> things like that on a first date. Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's a conversation stopper, maybe, but it's also a conversation. 
grower. So I have had that kind of hypothetical conversation with countless people, Kelly. And from my, and yet again, this is intuitive. It's certainly not scientific. I would, I would class it as low as 10%. Mm. Yeah, I think I've probably, I mean, if I just quickly think of stories and especially in my line of business, I work with men and women after divorce. So I've heard numerous divorce stories and I can think of many, many that have stemmed from one spouse struggling with illness, a spouse struggling with um, debt, financial struggles where the other spouse just said, you know, I can't deal with this. I decided I was out. And yeah, I mean, we love to hear the romantic stories of the one who sacrificed for love. But I think it is much more common that we hear people saying, I had to look after myself and I decided to exit rather than than make that sacrifice. Yeah. So I think what we've got here, Kelly, is um, we've obviously you know flirted with the concept of time and how that is very perception driven. We've all got the same amount of time. Maybe we need to organize it a bit better if we, you know, oh, there's not enough hours in the day. Um, hmm, That's kind of akin, isn't it, to money's dirty or, Mm. you know, the the, all money's evil. And that is just a saying the money thing. We've kind of had a look at that. Let's let's have a deep dive into this thing called love, Kelly, because isn't it interesting? You mentioned the six human needs earlier on. Now, when we look at those six human needs, which I know me and you have spoken about this personally and professionally. And um, it's interesting that of the six human needs, there's no there's no mention of time in any of the six human needs. There's no mention of money in the six human needs, but there's love and connection. Mm-hmm. That, that tells us a little bit of a story, I feel. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and we already touched on this, you know, Money, and I guess we could argue that as well, time are tools or vehicles to get our our needs met. Um, and love is one of those basic human needs. And I actually had for quite some time a poster next to my desk that said, um, you're actually rich when you have the things that money can't buy. Um, and it was a picture of a, a happy, smiling family. And it for me comes back to this. Yeah. I mean, love is such a basic fundamental need that we all have. And um, to quote, you know, some research because I have done a lot of work in the scientific realm. I mean, many people have heard of the Harvard study um, that followed uh, married men and showed that uh, married men lived happier and longer lives than their single counterparts. And, I think that for me reinforces how important obtaining that need and fulfilling that need for love is in our overall lives, our health and our happiness. Do you think we learn about love, Kelly? I mean, what is this? Let's let's adopt this from a sort of semi-scientific perspective of the why, uh, the what, the why, the how. So what is love when all said and done? Can, Can we describe it? Because it comes in so many different forms, you know, the love that we have for our kids, for example, or our pets or or whatever, is going to be dynamically different or or not. I mean, I ask this as a question (laughs) rather than offer offer it as a statement today that to say that intimate love that we might have for our our partner 
Or is it? I mean, what is this thing called love, Kelly? I think love, if we define it, is actually a combination of feelings and emotions. Um, it's, there's chemicals linked to it. We know that when we fall in love, we release a bunch of chemicals into our body. Um, some of those chemicals make us happy. Some of those chemicals make it difficult for us to concentrate. But we've got all these sort of things happening. And I think as human beings, we experience that feeling of love, of joy, of peace, very similar for different things. And I mean, we can talk about intimate love with a partner, but we can also talk about being in love with inanimate objects. Um, let's take a car, for example. You know, you can say you're in love with your car and we get these feelings when we invest in something. So just as you would invest in a relationship and you get the return of positive emotion, if you invest in your car and you clean it and you vacuum it and polish it and you look at it with this sense of pride, you're also going to get these feelings of joy. And, and I question whether or not those are uniquely different feelings. I think love is a feeling that you can get from many different ways. Hmm. Although, do we get butterflies polishing our car? I think it depends on how in love you are with your car. Um, it might not be everybody's, you know, vehicle for obtaining mm. love. I think for most of us, it's much easier to develop feelings of love to a person. But I think just in terms of making the point that it is possible, love often comes from, as I said, making an investment into something, but also a choice. Um, that's one I love to talk about is, you know, love is a choice. Um, there's a feeling aspect, but if we only rely on our feelings, we can notice that when those feelings are gone um, temporarily or, or over an extended period of time, we no longer feel that we're in love. But if we make that choice to continue to invest in something that is meaningful to us, we can reactivate those feelings and get those strong feelings of, of joy um, and bliss returning over time. And that's something that I spend a lot of time about talking um, with my couples in coaching is, you know, how can you reactivate feelings of love over time? Yeah, we, we've, you know, we, we seem to mention this semi-consistently now, Kelly. We've spoke about that with the, the love box concept, haven't we? You know, putting something into it rather than just taking out, which... Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people do because we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, I think what you're sharing there is absolutely priceless and invaluable that, you know, to to invest in that. I read a caption or some years ago. I think it was actually Robbins origination. Uh, the, the origin was from from Robbins, Tony Robbins. And it was something around the and I'm paraphrasing now. Most people go into a relationship looking for what will serve them. They don't go into it looking for what they can offer to serve. And, you know, they go looking for the perfect love instead of creating the perfect love. I don't necessarily kind of agree with the word perfect because I think that sends us down a whole new slide altogether. But that's, you know, that's another time, another place. But there's this thing, isn't there, that what you're saying that the focus is, you know, the, this love between us that we share. It is that love box yet again, isn't it? That we, we've got this thing between us that we invest in, we commit to no matter what. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I fully embrace the concept of the love box and think it's so important that people are conscious of what they're putting in versus what they're taking out. And it should always be a positive balance in the sense that you're putting in more than you're taking out and that you always have a positive balance in that box. So as by way of a summary then, Kelly, let's ask the question again. Time, love or money, which matters most? Where are we at now? Nearly half an hour later from this <laughs> uh, this dance, this exciting all over the place talking about all three. Where, where are we at with this, Kelly? Is there a verdict? I, I don't think there is a clear verdict, although you have brought me back and, and we keep coming back to the six human needs. The fact that love is one of our basic needs it does bring love back to the top for me. Um, and I, I do look at the other two as necessary and very important in our lives. Um, but I do think that love, um, or sorry, chasing money without love can leave you very empty. Um, but having love with very little money is still possible. And when you're with somebody that you absolutely love and enjoy spending time with, Time can feel like it goes on forever. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a thought on this one to bring things to a close, Kelly. But before I share that, I just want to invite you in, although you've been on quite a number of episodes now, just to share your contact details with us again. They'll be in the show notes, as will all previous episodes. So how can people reach out to you, Kelly? Yeah, thanks, Paul. You can visit my website. It's kellybrandley.com. And that's spelled K-E-L-L-Y-B-R. A-N-D-L-I. Excellent. Thank you. And listeners, I just want to leave you with this thought to answer, um, you know, the question that Kelly and I came up with. Time, love or money, which matters most? For me, it's a one horse race. Two of them are not even on the starting lineup, personally, and it's love. And that's not only my own personal experience, thoughts emotions but just let's cast our mind back if you know if you've got any semblance at all with a love for music or a passion for music just think about how many records have been made around the subject of love you'll lose count very quickly then do the same exercise with how many records have been made about time hmm I think the list will be considerably shorter and then do the same around the subject of money. And I'll close this where uh, with the statement I've just made. It becomes a very, very one sided one horse race. And I leave you with that thought other than saying that remember mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.